0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy, Lord's Day. Happy Lord's Day. It is a joy to bring you God's Word this morning. Please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter one or Psalm one, not chapter one. Psalm one. If you're using a pew Bible, it's going to be on page four hundred seventy-two. Psalm. We're going to be looking at the entire Psalm, it says this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Lord, we just sang of words of power that will never fail. And we ask that its truth will prevail over unbelief. Lord, with our sinful hearts, with our distorted lenses, we cannot understand your word. It's impossible. We can't do it unless you help us by the power of your spirit. So we ask, Lord, we admit that we are powerless unless you come and you help us. We pray that Your word would speak to us. They would penetrate through darkness. That your light would shine. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The DMZ is a demilitarized zone that exists between North and South Korea. Now, this line separates the two countries. And they have armed guards that that separate and make sure that no one is ever able to cross over to the other. Now, in the morning of November 13th, one of the North Korean soldiers defected and bolted to South Korea. Under gunfire, received multiple wounds and is currently being treated in a hospital in South Korea. A few weeks later, a second man Uh, in a similar dense fog as this morning, also bolted over. And this line is never to be crossed. Each side doesn't just represent two different countries, but actually two different ways. North Korea represents communism. And the South, democracy. And no one can say that they're kind of in the North or kind of in the South. There is a clear delineation between the two. Each one representing two ways to live. The psalmist here this morning represents or identifies two lives or two ways of living. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. So here's the main idea for this morning. To follow the way of the righteous, not the way of the wicked. To follow the way of the righteous, not the way of the wicked. There's going to be three points to this time. Firstly, the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. Secondly, the way of the wicked. The way of the wicked. And thirdly, the why of the ways, or the reason for the ways. Firstly, the way of the righteous. Look with me at verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So happy or, or blessed is the one who does not walk with the wicked. Who doesn't walk with the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now notice the progression that's happening. First, you walk with the wicked. Then you stand with the wicked and then you sit with the wicked. So what the psalmist is trying to paint here is that when you listen to the way of evil, it immobilizes you. First, you listen to their direction, and then you're in their pathway, and then you are in their company. First, you consider the direction of the wicked, then you are in the path of the wicked, and then you are among them. And the psalmist observes here that you begin by walking in the advice of the wicked, that you begin by listening to their words. And then their words affect where you stand, and then it affects who you are with. Consider Eve in the garden. Wasn't she first seduced by the serpent's advice? And they listened to the words, and the words become the poisonous bite that infects her soul and leads her in the way of the wicked. And the psalmist is saying that if you do not Do these things and you are happy. If you don't believe in Christianity, one of the most effective ways, or in general for anyone, one of the most effective ways that you can shut yourself off, that you can block yourself off to something, is to get you to laugh at it. This is why satire is so powerful. If I can get you to laugh at something, to to make it look absolutely ridiculous, then you won't consider it. It'll seem stupid to you. It's not worth your consideration. So, some may mock Christianity and make fun of it and make it appear to be so ridiculous that it's not worth your consideration. So... So let me get this straight. You're you're saying that Jesus was born of a woman who never had relations with a man. And this guy comes, and apparently he's God in the flesh, and then they kill him, and then he arises from the dead, pulls over a rock, and shows up to a bunch of people. Like, everyone who claims to be a Christian in this room believes that. That's ridiculous. Why would you believe it? And there are people that will joke about this in the world, aren't there? That, that we actually believe that man rose from the dead? It's ridiculous. Why would you ever think that? Name one person that you know that rose from the dead. I'll wait. And they argue and they make fun and they mock. That if you really believe in Christianity, you must be stupid, or, or delirious, or, or blind to believe this. And yet, if we understand what the psalmist is saying here, as, as these people who mock, who make fun of, who, who, who diminish Christianity, as they go deeper into their mockery, they actually blind themselves. Right? You can't consider the arguments you can't consider the possibilities of Christianity because you already think that's ridiculous. You can't even hear the arguments that come out. So if you're a non-Christian here this morning, I would encourage you to think. Don't think that Christianity is here so that you suspend your belief. We're actually trying to encourage your thinking. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. Don't find comfort in the fact that those around you think in a certain way. Notice that in the verse that they're sitting in the company of mockers. Everyone else around them agrees with them. They agree. They laugh together. Don't find comfort in being with a group of people that think a certain way. Test your thoughts. Evaluate your thoughts. If Christianity is wrong, then why is it wrong? If Christianity is true, then why is it true? And if you're a Christian, test the spirits. Do do not be a passive listener. Evaluate the content of the words, not just the one who speaks the words. I can be up here all day and say lots of interesting things. That doesn't mean it's true. Evaluate it. And what the psalmist is saying here is that if you don't walk in the way of the wicked, if you don't stand in the pathway of sinners, if you don't sit in the company of mockers, then you are happy or you are blessed. That, that joy is for those who do not do these things. You get it? The psalmist is saying that if you don't do these things, you receive happiness. See, some think that the key to a righteous life is like a monk-like stoicism where you shave your head, you go off into the wilderness and you detach yourself from all pleasure. That, that pleasure is evil and that suffering is good. Friends, that is a false, bad dichotomy to hold. The Christian life is one of immeasurable joy. When we invite you towards Christianity, when we argue for the Christian life, we are arguing for it. We are arguing for the way of the righteous because it is the happiest life. Because it's the most joyful life. We're inviting you to happy living. But joy cannot merely be not doing these things. Have you ever told a three-year-old not to do something? Like just sit, don't move or don't come in, how well do they listen? We don't listen when we say not to do things either. <laughs> right? So instead, the psalmist gives the alternative in verse 2. Read with me. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Instead of delighting in evil, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. The way of the righteous is the way of the word. But why would the psalmist say the Lord's instruction? Why Why talk about the Bible? Why talk about God's word? Why not just talk about God himself? Why not say that his delight is in God? Why do you have to say his instruction? I don't look at people and say, oh, man, I just delight in your words. Your words are so sweet. I love your words. I think about your words. Well, Jesus answers in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will what? Yeah, follow my commands. You see, if you delight in God, you will delight in his words. We talked about this months ago in Ezekiel 3, that, that when Ezekiel sees this blazing image of God's glory, the way that he's supposed to bless that glory and communicate it to the people is through God's word. That as He shows the Word, as He proclaims the Word, you're not just experiencing the Word, but you experience God Himself. That's why we focus on preaching the Word. That's why we sing songs like, Speak O Lord, preparing our hearts for God's Word. Because when you delight in God's Word, you delight in God. The Word is a window to God's glory. You taste and see the Lord by feasting on the Word. When you value the Word. We shared cards in the past month in the mailbox in the back. Now, why do people treasure these kind of letters and cards? You don't do it for the paper. I didn't come home with my envelopes and say, oh, this stationery, such high quality, right? No, you value the writing. And when you value the writing, the words of these people, you value the writer. When, when finite men write finite words for us, we treasure it, don't we? We, we store up those cards. We, we, we envelop ourselves in them. And when finite men write finite words, things can also be lost. Not all of us are good writers. We'll we'll just try to say a pleasantry like, Merry Christmas, sign, give it off. But when God writes through the empowering of his spirit in his word, what you get is crystal clear images of who God is. That when you envelop yourself in the word, when you treasure the words that God writes to us, we get to see God in crystal clear clarity. To modify a quote from Sir Edwin Hoskins, bury yourselves in the scriptures and arise in the presence of God. You can go in the scriptures. You can see God. You can feel God. Now, you may be hearing this, and you say, John, that sounds really great. And all. But what about the Pharisee? Right? Doesn't the Pharisee love the Word? Doesn't the Pharisee spend all his time in the Word? I don't want to be a Pharisee. So, how exactly does a Pharisee delight in the Word and not delight in God? How does this happen? See, the difference between the Pharisee and and the person, the one who follows the way of the righteous, that, that God writes here, is that while the Pharisee may delight in the word, the object of his desires is not God. It's not God. You could read the scriptures, you can dig into the scriptures, you can spend time in the scriptures and not desire God at all. It will be his status, or his knowledge, or for some of us, for a lot of us, the desire of being right. Read through scripture and you load up some ammo to get people. The object of his desires are the things that the word gives, not the one who speaks the word. He values the gift, ultimately, instead of the giver. When the Pharisee approaches the text, the text doesn't penetrate his heart, doesn't hit inside. And Jesus addresses this himself. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. The Pharisees come to him, and this is his response. John chapter 8. Keep your finger in Psalm 1, we'll be back soon. John chapter 8, verse 32. So, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and this is how he responds. If Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is speaking to Jews who have the word and saying that God is not your father. Abraham is not your father. Your father is the devil, Satan. That will draw a crowd. You are of your father, the devil. And because of that, you can't understand the word. You can understand the words. You can understand the phrasing. But it won't hit your heart because your father is the devil. Because of idolatry. The delight is not in God. So you prostitute the word and try to use it for your own means. Does that sound like you? Then repent. With great knowledge comes great responsibility. Mishandling the word has immeasurable consequences. It's an absurd, wicked thing to use a book about God's glory for your own glory, right? It doesn't make any sense. Now, some may listen to that and say, Amen, amen, amen. That is why I do not read the Bible, John. That's why I don't engage with the Bible. Because when you engage with the Bible, you become a dead, cold, orthodox man. And I feel God. I engage God every day. I was sharing the gospel with someone last week. And she said, I feel God in nature. But the Bible is not something that's to be avoided. So don't use the potential for corruption as an excuse for your lack of devotion, okay? So, a corrupt man who uses the Bible for corrupt means does not make the book itself corrupt. Are you tracking with me? So, it doesn't mean that the book necessarily is corrupt itself. And secondly, I love my sister. I I think she's fantastic. I think she's one of the greatest people that God put on the planet. I love the fact that God gave me my sister, and I tell my sister that I love her. It makes her uncomfortable. Um, Now, I I tell her that I love her. I want her to talk to me, but what if she tried to talk to me one day, just had a terrible day at work, just walks into my room, and she begins to speak, and she says, you know, I I just had a really tough time at work. And I was like, shut it, quiet. I just want to feel you. I just, I just want to feel you here right now. Your presence is enough for me. Like, shh, quiet. I need to feel you. Does that make any sense? Am I really trying to be intimate with my sister? Am I really trying to spend time with her? Am I trying to understand her? You see, my quest for intimacy in that moment is really just a cover for my selfish laziness, Right? Intimacy is not a bad thing. I certainly want to spend time with my sister. But intimacy includes communication. It involves listening. And God has spoken. Amen. Will you listen? See, the righteous man delights in the word. He, he delights in it. And he meditates on it day and night. What does it mean to meditate on God's Word? What does it mean to meditate? Now, meditating in Scripture is not the same thing as sitting cross legged and saying ohms, right? Meditating on the word of God is when you connect the truth of God from the mind to the soul. Okay, from the mind to the soul. It's to savor and taste the goodness of God and the truth that is being read. Okay? And the truth that is being read. You dwell and you delight in the text together. And, and we know that there's a difference between knowing and knowing. It's, not, it's one thing to just know the text. It's another thing to delight in the text. To savor the text. And I think this is a helpful analogy. Um, in the gaming community... Sorry, there is a difference between someone who is a gamer who's serious and um, someone that we would call a casual, a casual. Okay, so I would call myself a geek, and a geek is just someone who's a fan of something that takes some work to like. Okay, it requires, it requires some investment, and and many of us are geeks of things. We just wouldn't call it geeks. Right, so if you know the entire lineup of the Lakers, you're a geek. You just won't call yourself a geek. You could call it whatever you'd like. And I'm not ex- an exception to this. I, I had an insatiable addiction to video games in high school. And I would close my eyes at one point. This is, this is true. I was so obsessed with the games I would play that I would close my eyes and I would literally see pixels um, in my head as I closed my eyes. I would open them and, and the world would momentarily seem pixelated and then clear itself up. I would I would talk with passion about video games with my peers, constantly arguing and picking apart the game. And I would spend my days at school, not studying, but planning out my virtual escapades in the digital world later that day. I was obsessed. And I would encourage you to be a Bible geek. Be a Bible geek. It, it takes work. It's not easy. It takes work, but dig into it. Get obsessed with it. Wrestle with it. Close your eyes and see the Word. Discuss. Bicker with one another over it. Plan your escapades in the glorious Word every day. See, I could give lots of different strategies or methods for reading the Word. But the most important thing is that you actually envelop yourself in it. Learning a strategy is one thing. Delighting in it is a whole other. So when you read the word, as you study the word, as you read the words in this text, even now as I'm preaching, connect it to your soul. What does this mean for you? Can you delight in it? So read the text. Make the connection. And some texts take more work than others, but invest in it. Chew, delight in it. Verse 3 He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams flowing streams, or or living water, as some would put it, right? An active stream of water, an endless stream. The author is saying that the one who delights in the word will have endless life, an overflow of life, a bursting fire hydrant of life. When you have the word of God, you have all you need. You have all that you need. And it's incredibly valuable. You see, it's one thing for us to talk about water today. We could just turn on a faucet and water starts to pour out. You know, California's in a drought, but we seem to have plenty of water that we could use every single day. But in those days, to have a flowing stream of water and to be planted right beside it, that is an endless supply of resources. And the psalmist is saying that the Bible gives you endless life. Unlimited life. It wasn't always like this. William Tyndale, one of the reformers, labored heavily to translate the word into English. And when he was told by the Roman Catholic Church to stop preaching sermons from the Bible, imagine that. Someone telling you to stop using the Bible as you preached. He responded, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, I will make a boy that driveth the plow know more of the scripture than thou dost. That a boy who's pushing the plow would know more about the Bible than the Pope in the Vatican. And he meant it. He labored for years to translate the Bible into English. They jailed him. And do you know what he asked for? His Hebrew text and a pen and paper. So he can continue translating. He was so vigorous in his efforts that he was strangled to death by noose for translating the Bible into English. So I ask you this morning, do you value God's word more than a gasp of air? Tyndale did. And his reward was an endless supply of life. The psalmist says that the righteous tree bears fruit in its season. It's a healthy tree, and its leaf doesn't wither. This tree is not like the plants in my house that my mom forgets to water, it doesn't crinkle up. It's green all the way through. And whatever he does, he prospers. So what do you get in the way of the righteous? You get prosperity. God will favor you. And this is not the same thing as the prosperity gospel. And sometimes because of the prosperity gospel, we become hesitant and we don't want to say that God will give good things to us, to delight in us. God is not being used here as a means to get gifts. Okay, so that's what the prosperity gospel will get wrong it'll, it'll turn God as the end and turn it into the means, so you use God to get things, so you believe in God so you get money or you get health or, or you get prosperity and whatever you do. no, you see in the gospel, God is the gifts Amen. you get the streams of living water. God gives his good gifts to you, and he gives himself to you. you can't separate the gifts from the giver. And I would like to invite you to drink from this water. Plant yourself by it. Many are distracted by the extravagance of the fruit of healthy trees. But gifts and fruits of the Spirit do not determine godliness. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, if I was just more gifted, then I could do way more. Like, if God just gave me this particular spiritual gift, or maybe more like this individual, then my spiritual life would be better. So you don't flip the order. It begins with waters of life. Spiritual health produces spiritual fruit, and that begins by planting yourself by streams of living water. And here's your faucet. Point two. So that was number one. The way of the righteous. Number two. The way of the wicked. The way of the wicked. Read with me in verse four. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. See, the wicked are not like the tree. They're nothing like the tree. They aren't drinking from life. They aren't bearing fruit. They aren't flourishing with green leaves, they're like chaff. Chaff are like the dried bits that fall off from the wheat when whacking it against the wall. It's like when you hang up your mats and you beat it with a broomstick, the little dust that flies away, that's chaff. Flies away. Like the dried grass outside. Here one second, gone the next. No refreshment, no life. If you look for water... In the ways of the wicked, all you will find is dusty wells. And you will shrivel, blowing around with the wind. No use but fodder for the fire. A little kindling that will really get the fire going. A pursuit of the wicked is a pursuit of the temporary. It will be gone. It won't stay. Your house won't stay. Your desires won't stay. It will be gone in an instant. Nobody takes anything with them to death. A pursuit of the wicked is a pursuit of the temporary. What are you chasing? And will it last? For Christians, do not get distracted by the husks of things that blow past your face. You may be walking down the way of the righteous and suddenly your head will turn. Do not... Be distracted. Check your motivations. Make sure you understand the value of the way of the righteous, the value of the word. Because if you don't, you'll begin to think that maybe there are some streams elsewhere. Start exploring. Verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor nor sinners in the assembly. Of the righteous. See, the life of the wicked is gone in a flash, but it isn't over. Some people will think that your life zips by and then it ends. That's not true. Your life will be gone in an instant, but no, it won't end there. The psalmist says that after that comes judgment. If you're in the way of the wicked, you are guilty. You're going to stand before a judge and you have no excuse. You'll have to face judgment with empty hands. No alibi. No excuse. No defense. To the point where you can't even hold up your head in the presence of the godly. You'll be completely alone. Defenseless. The wicked will shrivel like a worm under the penetrating sunlight from a, from a magnifying glass. So stand under the holiness of God. Make no mistake, the life, this life does not leave everyone empty. You don't leave this life with nothing. You don't do wicked, sinful things and then flee with death. Hitler did not get away with it by dying. You will be judged. The way of the wicked is a way to death. An eternal judgment. Flee, Run from it. Now, the third point here, the why of the ways, or the reason for the ways. So so why is it divided up like this? Why is there a way of the righteous and a way of the wicked? Why is it split up this way? Verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads the To ruin. So why are the ways this way? Because God watches over the righteous. Or he knows the righteous. It's not just that he's aware of them. Or a purely intellectual knowing like we think of in the English. No, this is an intimate knowing. Do you realize that if you're righteous, that God cares for you? God cares for the righteous. He knows them deeply. He knows them intimately. He knows them purposely and the reason, uh, personally. And the reason why the righteous live is because God gives life. Because God gives life. The difference between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked is God. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. A godless way is a fast track to death. If you are in the way of the wicked, The psalmist is saying that God does not watch over you. There's a clear, definite fence between the two. You have the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There's no one in between. There is no gray. You are either with the righteous or you're with the wicked. No one is sort of righteous or sort of wicked. You may be listening and thinking, well, if there's one group I'm in, I'm in the wicked. I know myself. There's no shot for me. I'm in the wicked. And I think that we all are. I mean, can anyone honestly say that they haven't walked in the advice of the wicked, or stood in the pathway with sinners, or sat in the company of mockers? I mean, haven't we all felt the dissatisfaction and the shriveling of sin in our lives? Don't we all deserve to stand condemned before God and the righteous? Why should any of us in this room ever receive the benefits of the righteous if we're so despicably wicked? I mean, I sinned last week. A lot. I don't deserve the way of the righteous. I'm... Intrinsically, completely in the way of the wicked. So, what does God do with despicable people? How can we ever receive the benefits of the righteous? We can through the work of Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the only man who ever walked the way of the righteous perfectly. See, this first psalm is talking about Christ. Jesus sat in the company of sinners, not to participate in wickedness, but as a physician to heal. He delighted in God's word and desired it more than bread, more than water. When PJ preaches, he says, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus actually believed that he was in the wilderness and he desired God's word more than bread, more than water to drink. And even though he deserved to prosper, he let himself be damned. He was bludgeoned, beaten, and battered. He hung, condemned, judged for the sin that we committed. And he was cut off from the heavens. He was led straight to ruin. He was cut off from the heavens in the assembly of the righteous. The Father's face turned away. And he died like chaff in the wind. He paid the ransom for our ruin, for our destruction. And this Christ rose victorious over death. So that everyone who trusts in him, though we're like chaff, are rejuvenated into life-giving trees. Though we deserve to be cut off, we can be brought into a mighty forest of Righteousness. You see, you can bolt from the way of the wicked to the way of the righteous. And there's a door, and his name is Jesus. So if you're a non-Christian here listening to this this morning, repent and believe in the gospel. Treasure Christ. Delight in Christ. You're hearing words of life right now. There's a, hydrant, there's a faucet of life that is pouring to you right now. Drink from it. Repent and believe in Christ, and you will taste the goodness of his righteousness. Not your righteousness, his righteousness. And for Christians, he empowers us to delight in, savor, taste the glory of God by his spirit. To whom much is given, much will be demanded. And He gave us the most abundant gift, the most precious gift in the world, His Word. So what will you do? There are two ways to live. Pick the way of the righteous. Treasure the Word. Taste the Word. And treasure Christ in the Word in this upcoming year. Make reading Scripture part of your daily life. Bury yourselves in the scriptures. Arise in the presence of a living God. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us. Thank you for Christ, who did not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or or sit in the company of mockers. Thank you that Christ delighted in the word more than we ever could. And we pray that you would make us more like it. Help us to taste your goodness in the word. Empower us by your spirit. Would you warm our hearts? Would you turn our affections towards your word? This upcoming year today, as we bury ourselves in your scriptures, would you reveal your glory to us? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.